0: Let me offer a prayer for us as we begin. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I personally have not had quite the encounter of the holy that Isaiah did. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I did, I would have run screaming from the room. I'm pretty sure of it. I mean, it's 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 kind of different, right? I mean, it it I mean, it's mystical, it's mysterious, it's it's amazing. But I want to ask you something. Have you ever been in a setting where you knew in your heart of hearts God's presence? Where you knew that the holy, the the tender presence of God was there, the, the daring, demanding presence of God was there? For many of us, that may have been in a church, a chapel a cathedral or maybe a cathedral of trees or a space that goes on into infinity at a beach. I don't know where you might have had this encounter, but as we hear the scripture read and as we talk about it today, I want you to think about I want you to think about where you have had that kind of encounter. The encounter of the magnificence of God in a way that might have taken your breath away. It could be within the walls of a simple clapboard church, as it was for me growing up, and going to see my grandparents, and their house was right across the street from the Methodist Church there in Somerville, Texas, and it was, a, it was one of those um, old churches that the sanctuary was in the middle, and then along the wall were these uh, rooms that had rolling doors that would, you could pull down and have Sunday school class, and then bring them back up to have Sunday school. It was really exciting for a little kid growing up. Uh, I don't know where your situation is. Maybe you went into a space where stained glass windows rose to the very top of the sky. I don't know, but I want you to ponder that as we talk about this story of Isaiah's encounter with God. It is in... Um, within the context of your memory, of your moment, that I invite you to engage the story of Isaiah. The book of the prophet Isaiah is long, long, long. And it's very complex. It's often misunderstood by Christians today, instead of reading from and learning from Isaiah as Isaiah stands on its own as a book in the First Testament. And, and by the way, many scholars, biblical scholars, encourage us to look at it that way. Christians still tend to read and hear Isaiah only in parallel with the life of Jesus, the life Death, birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's how we do it. And it's largely because of the assigned readings each Sunday. Uh, the people that put, put what's called the lectionary together um, used Isaiah in parallel with the seasons of the church. Advent, when Jesus, we expect Jesus' birth, and then uh, at Good Friday and, and Easter. And, and there's no reason for us not to understand it that way. Um, But this is instead of seeing uh, the life of Jesus as a continuation of the First Testament. And and because we hadn't done that very well, we we got this separation of the Christian church from the First Testament. Um, Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament scriptures more than any other First Testament text. Consider things like Handel's Messiah you know we hear so much of Isaiah in Handel's Messiah, and historically um, it has set up this this understanding of the First Testament as somehow inferior to the New Testament, leading to a disastrous development of anti-Semitism that we still by the way are experienced today i'm I'm sure you heard the studies this week that the huge numbers of our Jewish siblings who have been Uh, had uh, people treat them badly because of their, um, who they are. This book of Isaiah spans at least two centuries, and in ancient times, people thought that Isaiah just lived for two centuries. Um, which, you know, I mean, in the early parts of the First Testament, we hear stories of people living to be, you know, lots of years old. But what biblical scholars believe is that there are actually as many as three writers giving information that come together by editors and others in the book of Isaiah. The overarching thread of Isaiah is the fate of Jerusalem, often referred to in Isaiah as Zion. I know you've probably heard that we're marching to Zion, you know. Uh, that's a referral to, uh, to Jerusalem. And that situation in the time of, in the two centuries of the book of Isaiah, uh, we find that the people of Israel are both internally struggling as a people and also externally under attack. And 1st Isaiah begins with a scathing, scathing indictment of worship without justice. Did you hear that? A scathing indictment of worship without justice. I think that's something we could perk up and listen to and heed today. The blame is laid at the feet, and I just take this part, but it's true. The blame is laid at the feet of those who pile up sacrifices and festivals without attending to God's clear desires of caring for the orphan, the widow, and the stranger, in short, the marginalized and oppressed. And when we overlook that, we overlook the desires of God. It is within this context that the prophet hears God call. Hello? This is a mystical story with no shortage of smoke and mirrors, which, by the way, is how some of our churches still to this day use incense in worship because it reflects this mystery of the presence of God and the smoke that rises up. And if you find yourself confounded by what is happening, join the club. You know, you got some cherubs flying around, covering their eyes, covering their feet. And preachers have wrestled with the meaning of this passage even as we delight in the clear call response that concludes it. I don't know a pastor yet that doesn't love the end of this passage. Whom shall I send? Me! Pick me! Isaiah says. Of course something that all pastors need to remember and all of us need to remember is that this passage is not about me. It's about God. Isaiah is clearly overshadowed here by that magnificence of God. And so it comes out in these hyperbolic descriptions of what is happening in the temple. The robe that spans the whole breadth of the temple. And the, and the cherubs and seraphs and all of them flying around and, and singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Here God is impressively huge. Breathtaking, and yet this encounter of God is a conversation. We get these dramatic descriptions of smoke and the presence of God, and then God speaks to Isaiah. God does not thunder, but asks, invites, listens, urges, and waits, and then pushes a little bit. Isaiah states that he's not quite up to fulfilling the task that God has set before him. But then, who is? The proclamation of the heavenly host is that God is not just holy, but three times holy. It is here that Isaiah confesses he is lost. I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, I sin. But the truth is, it's not just about him. It's about his whole culture, an entire culture that is lost and unclean, something we might understand today. It is here that we must note that we do not heal ourselves. Rather, it is God who offers Isaiah a coal on his lips, a coal that fires away the worst part of him, and God offers grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now, love by a power beyond Isaiah's self, and in spite of Isaiah, a power, Isaiah hears that God has need for help. Really? God has need for help? That's kind of startling, isn't it? This magnificence of God has a need for the help of Isaiah. It's important to note that all of this happens in the temple. And though we understand that God is everywhere and we can encounter God anywhere, it seems that God wants to be encountered in this holy space. Well, the good news for us today is anchored in history. Turns out that King Uzziah, was a real, live king. We know the date of his death. And God is manifested within the political drama of the day. And God is manifested in the real world, the historical arena into which God inserts God's holy word. You see, God happens in space and time in the corridors of power and the impact of governments on people. God is there in the midst of all of this. God is not boxed up into some neat little private chapel of personal spirituality inside our private individual selves, although there still is beyond all of that. The good news for us today is that we find in this story set across the panoply of the ages mysterious and magnificent God, and yet a God who encounters us personally. And over time, we have come to know this story as a model for our worship. You see, if you look at the historic worship of the Christian church, it almost always begins with praise. The praise of God is our first act of worship. But that comes because we have had a mystical encounter of God. And out of that, we respond. We respond with this song of praise. And then, often in worship, the historical worship of the Christian church, we confess our sins. Woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips, and I'm not up to being in your presence. I'm not worthy And God then responds with an assurance of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And then God asks, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, in spite of all his doubts, in spite of all his fears, in spite of all he might anticipate is going to be difficult and a struggle, he says, here I am, send me. This is the model of how we worship. This is, for the historic Christian church, about our shared worship before a mysterious and magnificent God Now, I want you to think about that place that earlier you had in your head. That place where you knew that God was present, where you encountered God as real and true. As pastors, we can always hope that whatever space we preach in might become that kind of space. And I suppose, if that's what we pray for, then I must warn you, God may very well show up. Unexpectedly so. Or better, consider that Isaiah showed up. And we might as well. Perhaps Isaiah wanted God to intrude into his life and his world. Maybe he was hoping that God would say or do something, but he accidentally stumbled into the heavenly realm, and before he knew it, God was manifest before him. And God was sending him and the people out with impossible tasks and with his every inability to do what God asks, Isaiah mirrored to the world and back to God the stunning yet tender greatness of the love of God. And you know what? This God of ours continues to show up. This God of ours continues to invite you into a deep relationship. This God of ours continues to operate and be made manifest in our world, even in the midst of all our struggles, and only asks of us that we love the outcasts and the marginalized and each other. This God continues to call, continues to send, and will always sustain. Amen? Amen. Amen.